I think what Nick Saban understands more than anything else is he, he has figured out systems. So if you ever read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear and The Power of Habit by Charles Duran, there's a whole science behind habit creation. But basically, that the systems of actions that you take over and over and over again ultimately determine the outcome. From the University of Alabama's Colorado's College of Business, it's Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories from most people both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens on the show today, Dr. Adam Brooks. Dr. Brooks is a professor of communications here at the University of Alabama. And I had the pleasure of meeting him last year after one of the talks he gave to the MBA program and the business school. I hope you enjoy our conversation. We've talked a lot about sort of like the the idea of learning how to, you know, convey messages better, how to, you know, build up yourself as an effective communicator. I'd love to get your perspective on some modern things that are going on. Uh, some of the current people that we sort of, we embody or we, we see as effective communicators. I think the first one I would love to sort of get your opinion on, and this is sort of an Alabama question that like has to be asked, Nick Saban. He's seen as his pinnacle of coaching yes. excellence. But one thing that I've started doing recently is listening to his speeches and listening to him talk because he has a lot of wise things that he says. Yes, he's been coaching for, you know, 40 plus years, but he, for some reasons, built up such a reputation. What is your perspective on Nick Saban's communication style and why he's been so effective in the past 13 years at Alabama? So couple of things. One, Nick Saban is a person I never want to meet in person because for years I've had this reoccurring nightmare that I run into Nick Saban in an elevator. And in this dream, Nick Saban turns to me with that cold, piercing stare and says, are you the Nick Saban of what you do? And I am so afraid of that happening in real life. I think what Nick Saban understands more than anything else is he, he has figured out systems. So if you ever read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear and The Power of Habit by Charles Duran, there's a whole science behind habit creation. But basically, that the systems of actions that you take over and over and over again ultimately determine the outcome. And I think he's understood this in the same context of not only the way he structures his organization, the way that he coaches, et cetera, the process, all of that. But he's also done that when he communicates. Nick Saban ultimately is a master at understanding word economy. He says it as clearly and as succinctly as he possibly can. He never says anything less or more than is necessary. He gets the question. He understands it. He also fundamentally understands his audience because one of the masterful things he does is utilizes media channels as a way of talking to his players because he knows the players are engaging in a media environment constantly. And he can get up and say something in front of them and it will mean less than if he says it on TV and they see it played on ESPN over and over and over again. So there is a kind of telegraphing that happens, but he's a very excellent storyteller. He understands the power of his personality and the strength of his magnetism is implicit. I've seen the speech that he gave to a thing conference somewhere where he's talking about the story. Have you seen this? The story of his, of Miss Terry's ex-boyfriend who owned the gas station. I did. Yeah. Idiot. But this man also 
a big part of any message is establishing your credibility. Six Saban benefits from he has immediate credibility. He's proven himself in all these ways. So when he gets up and he's talking about leadership, everybody's going to pay attention. For everybody listening to this that thinks that they can just go out and talk like Nick Saban, that's going to work. You have to have established credibility first. And if you don't, most of the time you're going to spend establishing your credibility in the context of the conversation until you become known enough that people can then, it's, it's implicit and everybody understands it. You said that one of the jobs that you were thinking about sort of like a childhood dream was to be you know, a White House speechwriter. And one of my yeah. favorite speeches ever, there's, there's, I have three favorite presidents, uh, but one of them is obviously, you're going to guess them, it's Washington, Lincoln, and Roosevelt. So Washington was known for his farewell okay. address. Lincoln was known, most importantly, for Gettysburg is probably the most popular one a lot of people realize. And Roosevelt yeah. was very impactful and so it was like the short, quick-witted kind of comments that he made. And tooling that towards... Modern, you Teddy or FDR? Teddy, Which one? Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy. Okay. So like okay. My, my favorite quote from him, for example, is keep your you know, feet on the ground, your eyes on the stars. You know, like that, that whole idea. And I think presidents throughout history and leaders of any nation have had to balance a multitude of different things. But when you're sitting back and you're looking at the current landscape of a globalized world, and how everyone can reach anyone, pretty much. How would you say someone communicating should find an audience? And I know it's like a very weird, specific question, but you yourself are a professor. You have a class that's an audience. But whenever you get up and speak, someone can hear this message. How do you control that audience? Mm-hmm. And how do you make sure to present yourself the way you want to? I think you have to root yourself in asking the question, what do I want everybody from this, this talk, this podcast, this, when I'm done, what are the two things I want them to know or understand? And if you're grounded in that, you're going to be touched into the audience. Yes, you are not. We are not in a society where you can control. Okay. I'm going to say this to this room and it's only going to stay in this room. Every room you talk to is, 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 is wide. As a professor, my nightmare is to one day end up on like one of those barstool meme accounts where people just film their professors doing dumb things. I'm terrified of that. Um, so how do you control that? I don't think you can, but I think how you develop your audience is one of the great things. And truthfully, I learned this from being active on social media, being more active on putting out different kinds of content on, on different socials has taught me about the ways that algorithms will feed your content to the right audience. So from a digital landscape, it's very different from like an in-person audience landscape. So which are you asking about? Both. Uh, Digital especially, just because I feel it's very relevant. Yeah. So from a digital landscape, you've got to think about who is the audience? Who am I nurturing? And the thing is just just adapting and iterating. You're going to find a small group of people. And those people are like, I love this. And you're going you're gonna to be able to know what's resonating with them and what's not. Because sometimes, though, you don't know what's going to happen until it kind of takes off. Like there could be something from this podcast that we start doing, you and I together. And then you get a tons of emails like, I love when you ask this question. Suddenly, that's going to be the question you ask every person. Because you get feedback that that's the thing. And you know from your audience, the audience is going to tell you what they want. 
But the audience also craves novelty and they crave authenticity and they crave substance. Now, one of those things is in direct competition with the other, substance and novelty. Like, I want to make this interesting, but I also want to make it good and like worth something. People also want to see things packaged and you, you can't just be stuck to one platform. The format and the style of communication that works well on TikTok is completely different than what's going to work well on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram. Those are all different platforms that have their own norms and expectations. And so I would say, one, any channel you're trying to use and understand, be immersive in that channel before you start producing content in those channels. So if you want to start a podcast for your company, listen to a bunch of podcasts and start thinking about what, where do you get bored as an audience member? What connects with you? Where are those things? And then it's also figuring out how do you make an immersive community where people feel like they are able to engage with all sides of you. The NFL is a great example. For years, the NFL had no social media presence. And they recently figured out smartly, and I know some of the people who pitch this, are like, let's create a Snapchat for NFL and make something that's more interactive, that's less formal, that's curated, that's more casual, that's more things happen so fast that you do that. How do you find an audience for an in-person scenario? That's very, I think you have to think about what is the problem your audience is to solve? Every time you get up in front of people, they're listening to you for a specific reason because there's something, there's an exigence, there's some instance that is producing their ability to be there. It could be their boss is making them come. It could be, hey, we just had a giant incident that we're trying to fix. Whatever that is, you have to best address that and then you have to transcend it and take it somewhere else. You mentioned presidents. I always think about we look to our leaders to help give us a larger framework to understand, especially in difficult, trying, or chaotic times. We look to our leaders to help us make sense of our experience. And good leaders are ones who take our experiences, good, bad, triumphant, ugly, and they transcend them. They take them into something else. They make it into something that matters differently. And if you're able to do that, that becomes something really powerful. I'll give you an example. We were, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but it was during the economic downturn of 2009, 2008, 2009. And at the same time at Caterpillar, we were rolling out a completely new, we had to meet tier four regulation requirements that would basically cause uh, Caterpillar engines to be changed in every single product across the entire product line. So this is a giant project giant project at the time where we don't have resources and the economy is crumbling. And our chief technology officer, Tana Utley, she was working on this video, this speech. And I went back and I found in the archives that Caterpillar launched its track type tractor, which is its biggest profitable ability in the beginning of the great depression in 1930 at the same time. And we used that story as a way to transcend what we were doing. Because ultimately, the message we want to be able to walk away with is, yes, this is going to be bad, but look at where we're going to go 20, 30 years from now. That is an example of leadership that transcends the thing and takes it into the, other, the next place. So for everyone listening to this, I think about what is your organization, whether your school, your college, your company, your business, whatever it is that you're doing, what are your people experiencing and how can you help lead them and guide them and give them a framework, a narrative, a story, a message 
that will help them make sense of their experience, but give it meaning and endow with significance. One thing sort of like what everyone's going through right now is the, I want to say growth of communication via, you know, video chats, it's like tele- telecommunication has reshaped the way we work as a whole, more specifically work and also learn. Can you talk about what you believe and Lee, what your idea is of video calls? Let's say the one we're on right now and how someone can be an effective communicator over this format and what you've seen as like some trends going on right now. I think two very simple things you can do to be more effective in a video format is understand your lighting and understand energy. So what happens is from a lighting standpoint, people are filming them like they're on their couch. They're sitting down one, get a light source in front of you. So if you are in an office, find a lamp and put it right in front of your computer. If you are lit face forward, for some reason, you're going to look younger, you're going to look healthier, people are going to engage with you differently. That's thing number one. Thing number two, if you, can, if you can do it standing, when you stand, you have a completely different energy when you're speaking. And if you're seated down, so this is if you're like presenting something. Um, I think the mistakes that people make is that they leverage the crutches that video formats allow people to do. So it is very obvious when somebody is not looking at their camera and they're doing something else when they're on a video call. You would not do that if they were right in front of you in a face-to-face, but I've seen it. They're reading from a script. They're working through their checklist of their talking points, whatever it is. And it's so incredibly obvious. You have to give it the same amount of energy. What I always tell people is, find the, the light on your laptop, on your camera, whatever it is. And then that needs to be a person. If you need to put a picture of a loved one behind your laptop so that when you're looking at it, you're thinking about a person. That light is a person. If you treat it like a person, if you make eye contact with it, like a person, you're going to be great. And that means sometimes looking away. That means sometimes having that sense of, of engagement with eye contact is a really useful skill. So those are some things that I think people can do to make a little bit more effective. The other thing though, that you can't quite replicate is there's an energy you give off when you're face to face and in person, there's an exchange of data. That's really hard to replace that. Yes. If you already have a relationship with someone, you can maintain that relationship through these kinds of things. But if you are building a relationship with someone, it's very hard to, only interact with them in this format without being very intentional about how you do that and the ways in which you make that a useful thing. So that might mean it takes a little bit more warming up. I get contacted by textbook publishers all the time. Hate their salespeople because they never ask me questions about me. They don't, they don't care. They have not demonstrated that they want to learn more about me before they sell me something. I would love it if they're like, listen, I know we come to you all the time. I know you're overburdened. I know you have so little time. I actually just want to understand how this works because I don't, I said my first time working in higher ed, I don't want to sell you anything. I literally just want to learn about what you do for 30 minutes. I would respect that so much. And I would probably tell them way more than if we did a very pre-scripted from a Salesforce populated idea. And I'm going to connect with that person differently on a human to human level. So no matter what the channel is, there's still a human at the end of that channel, whether it's your podcast, whether it's your YouTube, whether it's your TikTok, whether it's your video chat, whatever it is, there's a human there. And humans basically still process communication 
communication patterns in the exact same ways, no matter what the channel is they're using. I think that's a lot of great points. And I think they're all very relevant, especially to the modern day and age of communication, especially in a work environment, how to stay focused and on task. And I was sort of use that as a transition into you've been at the University of Alabama for a good amount of time now. You've experienced a lot of different perspectives, both as one as a student, but also as a professor now. What is one memory that it's going to stick with you for the rest of your life that Alabama has granted you? This is a cheesy answer, but it it's truly, it was the moment that everything clicked. So I told the story of I'd never been on campus. I'd never watched a college football game. And I will never forget my very first game day weekend here in Alabama and just watching the city and the town transform. And by the way, it was so much better a few years ago than it is right now. Now it's really stale and corporate because you have to pre-purchase the spaces, but I'll never forget. It was the Friday before a big home game and people used to line up at one o'clock on Friday and race to the quad to get their spot. And then people would keep, people would, would be tailgating on Friday night to hunt their spot for Saturday. And you'd be walking around and there were people, I think we were playing in Florida and people were grilling alligator. And if you would walk by and say, roll tide, people would give you food. And like, you would shout on one end of the street, Allah. And then someone else in the street would say, Bama. And then I went into Bryant Denny and the ritual, it was like, it was like a religious experience for me. And I will never forget that. And my first year after my, no, my second year here was the year we, the 2011 national championship. And I remember being at, this is maybe inappropriate, but I was a grad student. I was of age. I was at the Houndstooth Bar watching the game live when we beat LSU. And I remember going out into the streets on the strip with thousands of people. And it was like, it was euphoric. And I share that experience, not because it's stereotypical of like, oh, but it speaks to something that is uniquely Alabama which is you're going to be in a place where you're going to learn and you're going to grow, but you're also going to be part of something that's so much bigger than yourself. And you're going to be experiencing that with so many people that are on the same journey that you are on. And every now and again, all those things are going to come together in a celebratory explosion of energy that you will never be able to replicate. No, I can definitely say that those, are the experiences that I never thought I would have coming to Alabama. Like I never went to like a college football game until I really got here. Like I went to like air force first army. That was the only college football game I came. I'm like football, football, like, okay. Like you guys say it's a big game. I'll believe when I see it. I saw it. My freshman year was Bama versus LSU 2019. Like the, the biggest, most anticipated game of that year, if not the decade. Oh it, yeah. It yeah. was insane. Oh, yeah. Just amazing. But I think that's a, a great point. So sort of like it all came together and clicked for you. And like Alabama will well, it always be a part of you. And people like to castigate, oh, you're just going to see football. It's like, well, no, football is a part of the learning experience, but it's, it's about the symbolism and the, the mythos of what that is, that you're a part of something that's larger 
and you're able to have an instant connection with anybody who's ever attended the University of Alabama, no matter what year you were at, you'll discuss how was the team that year. It is a bonding and solidifying moment that makes and amplifies the knowledge that you're learning here because people learn here. They're learning amazing things here. Our students are incredible. They are interesting. They're innovative. They're from all over the country in the same class. I'm going to have people from California and from Florida and Mississippi and Alabama and Illinois and Wisconsin and New Jersey. And the conversations that we're going to have in that classroom, you cannot replicate that in any other part of the country. And that is what it means to be in Alabama. So it's all wrapped up. I can't, I can't separate one from the other. They're all wrapped up together. It's all a nice little bow. We love to see it, but this has been fun. I've enjoyed myself. It's been a great time. Well, Dr. Brooks, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. And people want to reach out and get engaged with the speaking studio. How can they do that? Yeah. So I would love for people to, to engage with me. If anything I said was interesting or innovative, you could reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can email me at adam.brooks at ua.edu. If you want to learn more about the speaking studio and the resources we have there, you can go to speakingstudio.ua.edu and learn more about that. But engage with me and let me know what resonated with you so that I can adapt to my audience. That's Dr. Adam Brooks, professor of communications here at the University of Alabama. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College of Business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide.